drums. Back when I was in Bible college, drums were of the devil. I'm sure glad we took them away from him. <laughs> oh yeah, because it brought called forth evil spirits or something. Back then we were afraid to back mask the Gaithers. It was, it was a spooky time. Is this mic on? What are you laughing at, Seth? And by the way, um, Joe, I'm sorry about that talent thing. It caused me to rethink our doctrinal position because if you have buried your talent in the ground, you are headed for outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, which may cause us to rethink our position on the security of the believer. Think about that the next time Joe wants a talent show. <laughs> okay. Um, somehow I ended up in chapel today. I, I had some warning on the matter. <laughs> I guess that's kind of like you having some warning on the matter. And I thought, okay, what should we do? That's always the question. You know, what do we say to Bible college students? Because we teach them, you know, here and there, and you hear our voices a lot. And I um, hearken back to a time when I did some work from the 15th chapter of Romans having to do with the will of God and how it is do we know what is God's will. And so I just thought I would share a few remarks along those lines. I go way back in my own experience. When I got out of high school long ago, I was one of those rare uh, high school graduates who knew exactly what he was going to do. I had a plan, and I set about executing that plan. My plan was to join the Navy. This was back just as Vietnam was winding down. And so I felt safe enough to join the Navy and not have to you know, do anything too extraordinary, and I did. Wanted that GI Bill so I could get out of the Navy someday, go to college, and be a journalist. Now, my forte in journalism was intended to be Broadcast journalism, my mother wanted to me to wave to her from Beirut, you know, as a foreign news correspondent. And so that was kind of the idea, and I was on the way, actually, until I was converted. That changes things. That changes things. Um, I can remember back in March of 1974, I had to find my ship. And that's not easy. If you lose your ship, they're really big and hard to lose. And so, but I had never yet seen my ship. And so I had to fly from San Francisco to Yokota, Japan, and then down to Clark Field in the Philippines and take a bus from Clark Field to Subic Bay, where my ship was supposedly waiting for me. And it was. And I've never, I had never seen anything so big in my life. It's as though it were yesterday. These huge, gray ships lined up there along the pier in the sweltering heat of the Philippines, and I will never forget reporting on board the very first time aboard the USS Sacramento, AOE-1, fast combat support ship, 56,000-ton displacement, 795 feet from bow to stern, had two huge motors in it that were taken from the battleship New Jersey, and that puppy could go 30 knots as such a huge ship. It was a Huge deal, not a large crew. Anyway, go up the, going up the gangplank, and you know you're supposed to face a certain way and salute, face the other way, ask permission to come aboard. 
and have your ID card out. And I did. On the quarterdeck watch was Yeoman Third Class Jimmy Shambari. He was, a, he was from New York, and he had the watch. He looked at, I, I can like it was yesterday, he looked at my, my uh, ID card, and on your ID card in the military, it gives your EOS, which is end of service. When do you get out? Because back in the days of the Vietnam War, that's all you thought about was when do you get out? And Shambari had been a draftee, joined the Navy. He couldn't wait to get out. He looked at my ID card where my EOS said 11 June 1977. He looked at that, he looked at me, and he said, 1977? There won't even be any trees left in 1977. Well, we have proven him wrong, have we not? Uh, It wasn't long after that I became converted. Um, Goodness, was it about a year later? What year was that, 74? About a year later. I became a Christian, and everything changed. And suddenly, I, not, I was very sensitive to my EOS. You could not have paid me enough money to stay in the Navy. There was nothing that would have kept me in. I could not wait to get out and get life started. And I could have told you from two years, from two years out, I could have told you exactly how many days I had left. I couldn't wait to get out. And so I'm constantly thinking, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I don't know how many of you are there. I know you're here, and that's good. You'll never regret being here. But what are you going to do? You ever see that uh, cartoon? Must might have been a Gary Larson cartoon. I don't know where the where the two bums are standing there. Well, they're not bums. They would be indigent people. Um, what's a politically correct term? Okay, and there's two guys in these old raggedy clothes, and they've got their cardboard signs and everything, and, and standing there just living on the dole and on street corner someplace, and one of them say, is saying to the other one, I wish I hadn't missed career day. <laughs> but how many of you were homeschooled? Okay, you missed career day. <laughs> Did you have career day in homeschool? I don't know. Anyway, we wonder these things. And I know that in your station of life, it tends to be, okay, God, what do you want me to do with my life? Where do you want it spent? How do you want it spent? With whom do you want it spent? And this whole business of the will of God comes pretty prominent in our thinking. I remember a fellow who got out of the Navy ahead of me. I was a Christian at this time. And these were my days of... um, what would you call them? I, charismatic? Speaking theologically, yes. I was running around with this group of charismatics. We did some pretty amazing stuff. Uh, resurrection and so forth. <laughs> pretty fantastic. But anyway, I remember um, one of the guys in our little band said he's getting out of the Navy, and he thought he would go to Alaska And after he got out, and he would... Uh, go to work with his brother and save some money and then go on to do whatever it was his plan was. And I didn't think much of it, but oh my goodness, the leader of our little group said he had prayed about it and God had told him, no, this fellow whose name was Gary, you are not to go to Alaska. God told me, don't you dare go to Alaska. As a matter of fact, if you go to Alaska, God 
will not go with you. And that shook this guy up. If God won't go with me, how dare I go to Alaska? Um, that would be rather frustrating, wouldn't it? A fellow came out with a book about 30-some years ago now, a man, a brother named Gary Friesen out in Portland. And he wrote a book called Decision-Making and the Will of God. Has anyone here read that book, Friesen's book, Decision-Making and the Will of God? Okay, it, it, it's a really excellent book. And in there, Gary Friesen starts by talking about this notion of the bullseye of God's will. And, and, and maybe you've heard this expression, maybe you've used this expression, but sometimes we can think in terms of, oh my, if I do not hit the bullseye of God's will, the center, you've got to be in the center of God's will. Because if you're not, well, well, you just should be. The center of God's will. And Gary Friesen, I think, did a pretty good job of explaining how we can not be neurotic about finding that very center of the will of God, that if we step outside it for a mere moment, who knows what sort of devastation could come our way. We don't need to be confused, like my friend Gary. We don't need to be neurotic, as though, boy, if we did, like God has given, sent us out on some sort of a coded scavenger hunt, and if we miss one clue, oh, something terrible is going to happen. I think perhaps, and this is just a suggestion, perhaps Christians have made too much of the notion of the will of God. That's a thought for our consideration. Um, we don't need to be neurotic. We don't need to be confused or frustrated. But we do need to care. We do need to be moving. I can remember a day long ago. As a matter of fact, it was the spring of 1998, most of you were alive at that time. We had moved, our family, our Mary and the four boys and me, had moved from the People's Republic of Missoula south <laughs> to the Bitterroot Valley. And one of the reasons we did that was to get ourselves in a little more of an agricultural area because we had these four boys. And, and I wanted them to learn some things about work, you know, real work. And so we moved down to the Bitterroot. Kevin will remember these days when we, and we started our own pipe company. No, not of the tobacco variety, but of the irrigation variety. And we enlisted to hand lines now. If those of you who understand, we were not talking big wheel lines or big pivots. These are hand lines that we enlisted to move 156 of these lines every day. We had to move them one station every day. So there were six of us. I'm not sure what Kevin did, because he would have been pretty little back in 98, pretty young. He was never very little. And, um, but Kyle and Joel would team up, the two middle boys, and then James could carry, and then Mary and I could each carry. So anyway, we divided this acreage up among us, and I, I was moving my particular line one day. We'd go out in the morning, like in April. Have you done, how many of you done this? Moved handline pipe. Okay, yeah, Kevin. Uh, sometimes in the spring, 
you're moving it in the ice. Like it's still cold in the morning and there's ice dripping off the grass and so forth. And it's just miserable. I can still see these little boys. 98, Joel would have been 11. Uh, Kyle would have been 12 or 13. And, and they're out there in the cold of the early morning just getting light out. They hated moving pipe. That meant my plan was working perfectly in their regard. They were learning how to be miserable working. <laughs> Fantastic. So off we'd go. I'm moving my line, and I can look across the way, and I can remember just shaking my head, because here were Kyle and Joel, each of them picking up one end of a pipe. Now, these were four-inch pipe. These were the big boys. We had a few three-inches. Most of them were four-inch. Each of them picking up one end of the pipe, slogging along. I'm thinking, we're not going to get home before lunch at this rate. And, And I'm disgusted with them. In my own fatherly, sensitive, Dobsonian sort of way, if I'd had a pellet gun that could reach them, I would have used it. Um, nonetheless, I didn't have to because I'm, I'm moving my line and I set one down, head back for the next, and I look across the way and Joel and Kyle are moving like lightning. Problem was, they didn't have a pipe in their hands. They were just, just sprinting for the electric fence. Close behind them was an Angus cow. They had, they had gotten between the cow and her calf and... <laughs> And she taught them something about moving. (laughs) Well, that was almost a pun. (laughs) Absolutely unintentional. (laughs) But we have to move, brothers and sisters. We have to advance. There isn't a place in the kingdom of God for you or me to mark time tread water, and just, well, I hope something comes along. Well, I hope God does something. Have you heard this poem? I'm going to read you a poem at the risk of my job. (laughs) You've heard the poem Footprints in the Sand? Yeah, this is sort of like that. One night I had a wondrous dream. One set of footprints there was seen, the footprints of my precious Lord. But mine were not along the shore. But then some stranger prints appeared, and I asked the Lord, What have we here? Those prints are large and round and neat. Lord, they're too big for feet. My child, he said in somber tones, For miles, I carried you alone. I challenged you to walk in faith, but you refused, made me wait. You disobeyed. You would not grow. The walk of faith, you would not know. So I got tired. I got fed up. And there, I dropped you on your butt. (laughs) Because in life, there comes a time when one must fight and one must climb when one must rise and take a stand or leave their butt prints in the sand. (laughs) Now, I'm going to assume that most of us, hopefully all of us, are, are genuinely interested in following and honoring God in the shoe leather of life, in moving and and trusting and watching. And so here in, in the 15th chapter of Romans, There are some verses 
that I was just happened across. This has been a number of years ago now. And I thought, oh my, um, I'm seeing unfolding before me here in this chapter of Romans, this writing of the Apostle Paul, I'm seeing how he planned. And so I started in my own thinking, after reviewing and pondering these verses that we're going to read, I started in my own thinking kind of deviating from the old mentality of how do I find the will of God? From that to how do I plan biblically? And I think the apostle helps us here. And what I've got, I've got eight points that we're not going to cover today, uh, depending on, (laughs) I suppose, depending on the uh, opinion polls. Uh, I may be back someday to do another chapel, and um, we can continue wherever it is we leave off today. I think it's material that's deserving of our time. But um, I have these, these eight questions. They come to us from Romans 15. And having to do, they have to do with what I will call biblical planning. Okay? Is that, is that liberating? Can we just plan biblically, or do we have to find the bullseye of God's will? How many want to plan biblically? I agree with you. Okay, let's close in prayer. No, just kidding. <laughs> well, look what's going on. In Romans 15, basically the book is over. The, the theological portion is written. Uh, the, the first benediction has been declared. Jews and Gentiles have been encouraged to to worship and fellowship and do ministry together in unity. The apostle has made his point, and then he moves on to explain his plan. And in the explanation of his plan, I'm suggesting, we see how he planned. And so if you're here this morning and and you're not sure about what lies ahead, here may be some principles that will help you. Let me read the verses. I'm going to read beginning in verse 14. And I'm going to read quite a few verses, so, uh, but you are in Bible college, so you should be used to that. Concerning you, my brethren, this is uh, Romans 15, verse 14. I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to admonish one another. But I have written very boldly to you on some points, so as to remind you again, because of the grace that was given me from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles ministering as a priest the gospel of God, that my offering of the Gentiles might become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and around about as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, that I might not build upon another man's foundation. But as it is written, they who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. For this reason I have often been hindered from coming to you. But now... With no further place for me in these regions, and since I have had for many years a longing to come to you whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you when I have first enjoyed your company for a while. But now I'm going to Jerusalem, serving the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, 
they are indebted to minister to them also in material things. Therefore, when I have finished this and have put my seal on this fruit of theirs, I will go on by way of you to Spain. And I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those who are disobedient in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints, so that I may come, that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. Now the peace of God be with you all. Amen. From this um, cluster of verses, I've lifted eight questions that I use and that I would encourage you to consider using as we embark on this business of biblical planning, asking and answering eight questions. We probably will only do the first one today. So if I present this material again, maybe later this semester, Tasha, do I have another chapel in this semester? Tasha has denied me another chapter or chapel in this semester. That's fine. If you don't want to miss career day, you'll be back next semester uh, to find out you know, the next installment. Um, eight questions. The first one is this, from beginning in verse 14. The question is this, where am I now? In other words, can I honestly identify my spiritual position right now? Do I know where I am? I will assume that, that we can all answer in the affirmative the question, am I a citizen of heaven or on earth? We know, don't we, that there can be no middle ground there. I wonder about that in light of, say, um, James 1. You know that classic passage on wisdom? Well, right after that, this is business about aligning ourselves with the wisdom of God, who is the author of it all. He says, you, you know, we have to ask trusting without any doubting. He says, the one who doubts is... Like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind, let not that man expect that he will receive anything from the Lord because he's double-minded. He's unstable in all his ways. We're not talking here about, about honest doubt, like I wonder, this or that. We're not talking about um, serious inquiry into matters that we haven't yet settled in our own thinking. We're talking about having one foot on the dock and the other foot in the boat, spiritually speaking. Not having yet decided, okay, am I in or out? Now, you can probably imagine, perhaps this has happened to you back in the days of your uh, foolish years when you may have had, literally, one foot in a boat and another foot on the dock. How did that work? We learn a little bit of something firsthand about waves of the sea driven and tossed by the wind because we might land amongst them because of that. What, what's being said here is, do, do you know where you stand with regard to Jesus. Is the, is the question settled that, yes, I'm all in? Now, I might have been born yesterday, but I stayed up late last night, and it's true that people go to Bible college for different reasons, and occasionally we do come across people who go to Bible college who have not yet figured out who Jesus is relative to who we are. It's not unheard of for people to become converted as a Bible college student. 
Well, Grandma wanted me to go for a year. She, just, she said she'd put up the money. I got nothing better to do. I'll go to Bible college. That happened. That's the first question that needs to be settled. I go back to Romans 15 and wonder about a few things. Um, verse 14, we see in the Apostle Paul a high level of certainty. He says, I'm convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with full knowledge, able also to admonish one another. You've reached that point in maturity where you've kind of gotten past that, that insecurity point. And you actually can deal with one another. You can, you can correct one another. You can encourage one another. You can confront one another when it's necessary. So there's every evidence on the part of you folks in Rome that a maturity level uh, has been reached. Verse 15 says, I've written very boldly to you on some points, remind you again, because of the grace that is given to me from God. To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest, the gospel of God. How God-centered is his talk. He realizes that, in all seriousness, it isn't a matter of your talents. It isn't a matter of your accomplishments, your pedigree, your aspirations, going subjective, your feelings. What matters is, what has God given you? In addition to, or as part of, you might say, Christ. Because if we have Christ, we need nothing more. If we have Christ, we have power, we have wisdom, we have sanctification, we have redemption, we have ability, we have illumination if we have Christ. He gets the credit. Does he get our credit? I can't answer that for you, only for me. And where am I now? Well, verse 18 Paul has already identified him as a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. And in verse 18, he says, what is, Christ has accomplished some things through me. I won't speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and round about as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. He has given me this ability. He has laid this calling upon me. He has gone before me. He has followed after me. He has enabled me in the process. And if Paul had to write a Christian service resume, it would not be too tough for him to do. Here's the question. Here's the starting point. If you or I... But we're talking to you now. Let's leave me out of it. I have a job. If you had to write a Christian service resume, what would be on it? Well, I fully intend to serve God. Well, okay, what's that look like right now? Right now. Because if we haven't served Christ right now, and, and, and we're in training to do that, in some cases among you, vocationally, in all cases among you, you will be seen as church leaders, and I hope you all function that way. But where, where are you now? What's it look like now? How has God used you up to now? Paul could trace his ministry. 
I remember being in the, when I was a new believer back in, in my younger years, and being in the Navy, it's pretty amazing. I was, I was enabled to go through this 12-week thing they called discipleship, where this old guy sat me down once a week and helped me understand the Bible and helped me understand how to pray and helped me how, how to share my faith. I shared my faith everywhere I went. Shamefully. I wish I were still like I, I was in those days. Never share your faith. Other than at, you know, a one where the little kid has to listen. And you have to listen. Ever share your faith. What's next on the spiritual challenge horizon in your world before God? Where, where are you now? You know, I'll tell you what the rest of these questions are, just so you know, because I won't probably be back up here for months and months and months. Um, where am I now? That's the first one. Second one, what does the Bible say about my plan? Where does Scripture weigh in? Third, what are the current conditions? What are the circumstances that I'm facing and dealing with? Fourth, what do I want? Oh, that's the best one. What do I want? Fifth, how is it practical? How does it work? What's going to come of it? Sixth, am I flexible? How flexible am I or how locked in am I? These are all have verses connected with that we'll be discussing. Seventh, who else is involved? There's always someone else involved. And finally, can I have confidence in God's blessing with regard to this plan I'm making? Sorry, this is just a brief introduction. I hope you're all in the will of God today. I'll assume you are. Let's pray together. It's uh, almost time for D-Lab. Micah, are you ready? Micah's ready. Let's pray. Father, we see through a glass darkly all the time. And sometimes it seems to be darker glass than other times. We need you far more than we know. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for brothers and sisters who have gone before, even such a one as Paul. Thank you for what you can show us through your truth. Thank you for these brothers and sisters here today, Lord. I am confident that you have each one in your hand, that you are polishing each one as a unique trophy of your very grace, and that you will deploy each one. Father, help us follow you and move at your command. Thank you for this time together in Jesus' name. Amen.